Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Paul Frields. And I'm Dave Guzman. And welcome to Practical Base, where we cover a new topic every week in our podcast to help you elevate your gigs and gear and take your bass performances and your musicianship and your mastery of your equipment to the next level. Um, you can find us on the web, of course, at practicalbase.com. If you haven't been by the website, please stop by. You can find all of our episodes archived there. A uh, new one comes out every week. And if you haven't found us on social media yet, uh, look for Practical Base on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Google+. And uh, we do want you to connect with us. So please come by and say howdy. Uh, you can also leave feedback on the website, and we encourage you to do that. We really want to hear from you. We want to connect with you, the audience, and we want to know what you want to hear. Dave and I have some ideas, and and we're going to be running through those over the coming weeks, but we'd really like to hear from you as to what you would like us to to talk about as well. And any questions that you have that we can answer, we would love to delve into that. So speaking of which, Dave, what are we going to delve into this week? Paul, today we are going to talk about efficiencies and some of our experiences around learning new songs. That was very professional, the way you delivered on that segue. I set you up and you knocked it down. Well, I, I rotated it in my head about 15 times. I was practicing and I learned that line. <laughs> it's just like directly relevant to our topic exactly. matter. It's amazing. Like we start delivering from minute one on this podcast. <laughs> Just at from the very get-go, you know that you're in the hands of professionals. Yes. Yeah, so so learning new songs. I mean, this is something that every player is going to run into, you know, almost immediately, right, in what yep. you're doing. You can spend a while taking lessons and learning, but eventually you're out there playing with people. And I would guess that most of our audience is probably doing this already, has been doing so for a number of years. If you're not... Um, we certainly recommend it. Playing with other people is absolutely the best experience that you can get as a bass player, right? It's true. Yeah, yeah. that's it. It changes everything at that point. It really does because you bring the dynamic of other people and how they play, and you start having you know this this interpersonal relationship. That the music becomes a part of like a conversation. Um, but when you're doing that, right, in the same way that we pick a topic for each of these podcasts. Right, and that enables us to have a conversation uh, as a group or as a band. You have to pick some music that you're going to go after, right? And in some cases, you know, once you are more experienced, you may be in the position where somebody drops, a, you know, a, a pretty big boatload of songs on you, right. right? And what do you do in that in that kind of situation? Have Have you ever run into that, Dave, where you've had like someone who has enlisted you for a gig, you know, whether it was permanent or just a, a fill in and, you know, you just, you have this like massive amount of material that you have to learn. Where do you start? Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, it has happened and it, it, it actually happens more often, um, than, than I thought it would. Um, uh, it's specifically, I guess like when, when you're in, when you're in sort of this sub role, so if you're building your reputation amongst a circle of musicians and they want to plug you in and maybe you're just playing one gig or maybe you're playing a few gigs just with this band. Um, or sometimes it's just that you're joining a band. So for me, you know, the band that I'm in right now, it was a pretty big 
song drop. I mean, it was, you know, 50 songs that I had to learn pretty quickly. And just to kind of like give you some background as to how I, how I went about that, I would say five years before that point was really when I developed this, this skill or just started developing it really, like just understanding what needed to be done with that level of urgency. So I had been in a salsa band and it was a ground up project. So in the beginning for the first year or so, it was very basic and it was really about, you know, doing covers, salsa covers, but they were old school and it was more about the feel and getting an understanding of what that was like. Right. But then we started as a band, we started develop, we started covering some more complex songs, songs mm-hmm. that included a lot of breaks, a lot of changes. The bass work got really tricky. Right. Almost orchestrated to some extent. And that was a that was a time where I realized like I was struggling. It was taking me a long time to learn these songs. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I um, I have a, a mentor of mine that I've I've used a friend a good friend of mine a mentor from day one, and he recommended to me at that time I called him and I just asked him like what what should I do here, um, and just really casually he just said you know just go to seven I think it's seventh string transcribe. Mm-hmm. So I go online I check it out downloaded it. This is like this is like an app that you can run on your like your iPad or whatnot. Yeah yeah at the time this is desktop time so but uh-huh. yes. And so basically uh, what it allows you to do is, you know, you could throw your song up there and then you can manipulate it. There's a lot of programs like that right now. Um, but this one, what, what was really nice about it specifically is that it, it, it just had those kind of sexy algorithms, if we can ever put those two together. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, it gives you good control around the, the quality of the sound so you can... You can bump out the bass. Right. And most importantly, you can slow it down and still hear the song. It doesn't sound like over the top digital. Right, right. So like within reason, you can get it to a tempo that you can work with, but it stays in the same key. Yeah. Right? Like kind of fills in the... Exactly. The sound that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what's nice about that is that I just got a process down and basically every song and I still do this to this day and what I do is I'll I'll learn the song at like between 60 to 75% of speed right nice and slow if there's some really tricky work I can drill it down to 50% mm-hmm. it gets pretty digital there but right right I mean there's there's a level at which those algorithms no matter how sexy they are they just yeah the curves don't work yeah <laughs> <laughs> abort ship <laughs> so i'll spend you know say whatever amount of time i mean you know it might be like 10 15 minutes in that speed zone right then i force myself to go at 125 percent. wow so you're just so you're just you shifted into overdrive and you're like okay you thought you were cool before click yeah. exactly and you're burning in your fingers yeah are on fire and then once I kind of get that, like, I don't, I don't work so hard to get it, to nail it at that speed. But then if I, you know, if I get close enough at that speed, then I just dial it back right to its regular speed of a hundred percent. And it's like butter. And it seems easy at that point. Cause you're like, oh, well I could almost do this at 120. So now at a hundred percent speed, it feels like no task at all. 
Exactly. So yeah. what what you asked is if if I had a um, if I did have a specific experience where where I've been dropped those songs and and so to put that to the test with this band that I'm in right now it was basically fifty songs two weeks and it was something I could do and I never thought mm-hmm. I could right right so that the tool in other words kind of gave you the it gave you the power over the process of learning that right. sort of cemented everything in your head so. I mean, you felt. I'm assuming that you probably felt confident after that point. You're like, "Hey, I've done these things at a faster speed. I'm, you know, going back to 100. percent These songs feel fine there, and all that while you're kind of cementing the song in your head, like the form and so forth. Exactly. And in that case, you know, of course, and I'm using charts to just take notes because I can't memorize it in that period of time. So some shorthand kind of charting right. whatnot, but you know, that that's been my experience and I still, still use that to, you know, today. Yeah. Um, so how about you? What are your experiences? Well, so typically when I'm learning songs, well, nowadays, right. I've got a couple, um, steady gigs that are more the type where we learn eight to 10 songs for the next couple weeks. And that's a little bit easier to chew on, right? You can kind of take your time and and do what you need to for that. But it's still a lot. Yeah, I mean, it can be. Yeah, it depends on the complexity of the song. Um, you know, one of the bands is more of like an uptown sort of R&B sound. And, and you find some amazing bass parts in some of those songs. And they're not always straightforward or they're not always quite what you expect. So having some some time available to work on those really helps. Right. But, you know, I've also run into the, into the issue of, you know, having to learn a lot of songs in a short time. There was an instance, you know, not too distant in the past where, uh, I was subbing in at a winery gig, uh, for a band that a friend of mine was in and he had recommended me for it. So of course I wanted to come in and knock it out of the park. Right. Because, uh, you know, when you know that your reputation is built on, being able to do things like that, right? People will recommend you then based on that. It means a lot. Yeah. So I said it was not too distant in the past, but it was in the days when, you know, smartphones were not nearly as smart as they are now. And, you know, the idea of having like a tablet computer was, you know, was a pipe dream, right? right? Um, You know, for those, I really did just chart things out to paper. So, you know, I got a list of songs and some of them, I some of them I knew there were a few standard covers, but the vast majority of the list was originals by this band. Right. That was that was actually kind of a curveball because a lot of the songs that were written by the songwriter in this band were very similar in the chord structures, the chord changes, and there may have been a subtly different feel based on what the band was doing, but it was very easy if you weren't careful to slip from one song into another uh-huh. right and i'm sure to the to the writer right these all were very different like they occupied a very different space in her head sure but as a bass player when i'm playing you know oh e to a to d right or something like yeah. that uh you know when i'm doing that in two or three songs you know if i can't anchor that on something right whether it's a a really different groove or really different words or something that helps me differentiate the songs that can be really difficult. So, you know, I actually had yeah. charted all these things out to paper just to make sure 
I was going to be ready and not, you know, taken by surprise by these songs. And so, you know, I gathered everything to paper, um, arranged them alphabetically so it would be easy to get from one to the other for the purposes of the show. Right. But nowadays, you know, the tools that I have for that are so much easier, right? Like recently I did a wedding gig on short notice and it was a jazz gig, which actually is fantastic, right? Because I didn't have to go pull down like 40 or 50, you know, MP3s of really modern stuff. Right. This was actually doing jazz standards in a little trio. Yeah. Uh, and that was actually fantastic. The great thing was I, I could tote with me, you know, my, my tablet computer. Um, I, I don't have a, a really large tablet. It's, it's a, it's a little Samsung seven inch. I'm actually holding it right now in the studio. I use it for, you know, referring to notes while we're, while we're doing the, the podcast. And, you know, I might get a bigger one in the future, but it, it works great right now. And I've got an app on it that was recommended to me called uh, iGigBook. Hmm. And it was recommended to me by a great guitar player around here by the name of Bruce Middle. He's in our, he lives in our town. He recommended this tool to me because you can load real books into it, right? Excellent. The ones right. that you can find all around the, all around the web. I won't go too far into that because I know there are all sorts of... <laughs> hairy legal issues involved in that. But, <laughs> you know, if you have those, if you have those real books in electronic form, you can load them into iGigBook and it basically indexes everything for you. The app itself wow. only has the indexes. So then you provide the content as a user of the app mm -hmm. and then everything just comes up magically. So, you know, if Bruce tells me, uh, hey, you know, we're going to do Autumn Leaves out of volume one, uh, I just, I literally just hit a couple things on the tablet, like hit the real book, volume one. Wow. You know, tap on autumn leaves. What a, what a difference from the days where I would have that, like the real book and the fake book with that plastic binder. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like just bent and mangled and right. Right. flipping through the pages. After like hundreds of gigs, you, you know, you're like, when is this, this thing's going to fall apart on me one day in the middle of a gig. Yeah. And like, you forget that the <laughs> title starts with A. <laughs> Like a something versus exactly. <laughs> just the name. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so that's a that's a great tool that I've used. And there's another one that I've used called iReal Pro. Mm -hmm. iReal. Yeah, iReal Pro. I-R-E-A-L. And that is another one of these apps that carries a lot of standards that have been transcribed by the provider or by users or whatever. It's like, you know, it's just charts, basically just simple right. chord charts. And that also has this facility where you can uh, transpose the key. So if somebody tells it, Oh, Holy we're doing cow. that in a flat, you know, you can tell it, we're going to do this song in a flat and it'll just automatically, uh, it'll automatically adjust the entire chart for you. Yeah. But what's, what's great about that too, is like, as you're gigging, especially if you're, if you're if you're gigging with a lot of vocalists and they're doing covers, you'll find that you know they just have a comfort range, and and some vocalists are just adamant about changing every key. Now that's a whole nother topic, and you know comfort level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But to have that ability, because if not, like I don't, I need to use something like that because for me, you know, I use something that's yeah, it's called four score and. Yeah. All I'm doing is I'm doing all the work with the, you know, I'm charting everything out and it's just a tool to be able to utilize Dropbox with my iPad. Right. Right. 
Exactly. There's no functionality to it. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, the tools nowadays are, are just amazing. I mean, I think I paid maybe a total of 15 bucks or something for those, for those two apps that I use. And they were so worth it just even for the duration of one gig, you know, what is your peace of mind worth for following along with somebody's chart? I mean, it's inestimable value. So that seemed like a great investment and it's paid off many times since. Yeah. So I really like those. Yeah. So another factor in this is figuring out what element of the songs are the most important for you to capture as you're learning. I mean, do you have like one dimension of the whole, the whole total sum of a song, right? The groove, particular licks, the feel, like whatever those things are, do you have like a particular factor that's more important to you in learning songs than others? Yeah, that's, it's a good question because you start to prioritize like really what, what's critical because every aspect of it really is, is important and, and there are multiple pieces. But for me, I think it's the, it's, especially when you're covering songs, it's being able to convince the listeners that this is the song, like this is the feel of it. Um, and so what that comes down to, I think is really, you know, not just learning the song, but the crucial point for me is learning those characteristics of those kind of tiny little riffs, um, that give it character and, and not just doing the riff, not just knowing those notes, but doing them in that feel. And once, once I capture that, I feel like the rest of the song unfolds right right like it kind of falls together because a lot of times those riffs sort of embody something about the song itself right um and and when you have that anchor it's almost like a mnemonic device and it can bring you back to oh i remember the rest of the song because i this lick leads here and then that leads here and so you know you kind of it sounds like you kind of hook your your learning on that riff and then that kind of leads you through Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to, and for that, the cool thing is, is that you just have to kind of be disciplined in knowing what that part is. And it's just looping and looping until, and you've seen them in these, like these instructional videos and they Mm -hmm. just have you do it again and again and again and again until it's just smooth and butter. Right. That probably means also though, when you're trying to capture a riff like that you're also trying to you know ape a sound or like sound like that song itself i mean we're i think we're also making an assumption right which is that the group that you're in or the the gig that you're doing that the aim of that is to capture the original artist performance in a sense right right as opposed to you know taking it way out into left field where okay, then it's more about, all right, you know what the basic changes of the song are, and then you're applying that to a completely different style or a completely different type of performance because that's what your group is intending to do. Right. It, the purpose in that point with those cover bands really is to take the listener back to back to that time or, or, or in that place and give them that sense of nostalgia and, and let them relive that in that moment and take them to that dream space yeah yeah i I mean i think from from my perspective 
the way that I tend to learn songs is, you know, I, I really look at the structure of the song and the chords of the song, and that's where I start, right? I start by thinking, oh, okay, we're kind of going from the one to the six minor to the four to the five, right? And I tend to think in in the number system whenever possible. It's not always possible, and I know there are songs in my head that I'm either my knowledge of them is based on strictly on notes or strictly on hand positions or things like that. Right. But nowadays more than ever, I think I've started to really base my experience or base my, my memory of a song Mm -hmm. on the number system. And that way, you know, when I'm in a band that's doing, Oh, they're playing a half step down and I've walked in with my standard tuning bass, you know, or whatever, or, you know, suddenly they want to change the key down because the singer's voice is killing him that night. Uh, it's really easy to to change up. Right. But I still feel that the key component is knowing the character of the song and how you're trying to deliver it, right? Whether that's right. the original way that it was recorded or whether it's a, you know, kind of a takeoff on that or the band's own style. Sure. Um, you know, applying the song structure to that for me is always, uh, that's kind of how I approach it. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the little riffs that you talk about really do make a difference. And the funny thing is you can almost play with those a little bit. If you're in one of the groups that is doing a cover, but it's doing really its own take on it, you can kind of play with those little riffs a bit, you know, maybe not apply them verbatim, but, you know, sure. kind of mold them into what you're doing. And, and again, it kind of leads you through the song structure and help helps you remember it a bit. Are there tools that you use to, kind of capture that song in your brain and, you know, make sure it sinks in? I mean, is there anything that you use uh, online or, mm. or whatever? Yeah, I think um, predominantly, you know, it's it's just, if it's a style, if it's a band or, you know, if it's a genre, just getting into it. If you've got a gig that's coming up, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to have that in my playlist regularly. It's going to be in my car It's going to be on my computer. Everywhere that I'm at, it's just going to be there and around me. So I can start to kind of feel like what that essence uh, of that bass style is. To just have it just like sink into your consciousness, basically. Exactly. And so I'm like passively kind of learning that. Um, and, And also I think like, you know, just good old YouTube and- Oh, yeah. Just watching people- play in different, maybe just in different hand positionings and just seeing how other people are approaching it. Right. Right. And you can sometimes pick the best of the bunch, right? Like I see, yeah, I see a lot of, uh, you know, i see a lot of YouTube videos for maybe a specific song where, you know, you've got half the folks are playing in one position and, you know, maybe somebody else is playing in a different position. And I, I tend to use those to decide where I'm going to go back to capture some of those lines, right? Because right. for me, being able to switch keys at at will or on demand is really important. Yeah, and so I tend to look for the YouTube videos where somebody is capturing that in a closed position, right, where you're not using open strings, right? Because the more the more bound up I get on open strings. As you know, as an older player, as a more experienced player nowadays, 
the more the more I can get away from using those open strings, the more flexible I find my playing is, right? It's much easier to change the key of the song because I'm really just adjusting up or down the neck as opposed to, oh my goodness, I've got to figure out an entirely new way of playing this because now I'm not using these open strings as right. a crutch. Yeah, right? because once you once you change from open strings to a closed pattern, the the pattern changes, the shape, you know, how we yeah. visualize that shape on the neck completely changes. Yeah, and and it is worth pointing out here, right, that it's a little bit easier for us to talk about that as primarily electric players whereas, you know, when I play upright uh and, and I know other upright players, this is a major consideration, right, is that you're sure. using using open strings is a way to keep your tonal center in your head, yep, on like right on the money. And so I'm not saying that using open strings is necessarily bad in every case. It's just from a fingering standpoint on the electric bass, for me, um, you know, developing and learning the song in a closed position helps me a lot. Yeah. And I think that's also why I tend to the five string bass, right? Because having slightly smaller hands yeah. means I can play, you know, that same note if I'm playing like an, a low E right? Instead of playing that low E on the open low E string, right? Right. I'm, I'm actually playing it on the fifth fret of the, of the low B string, right? Because that means that I can use that closed position and, and, uh, and also, you know, the reaches from fret to fret are a little bit easier on my hands. Right. Yeah. So it's, that's kind of my, that's kind of my little secret weapon for the fifth for the uh, for that fifth string, I, I don't think that's a. It's not that secret, right? I think everyone knows that, but that's <laughs> yeah. for me. That's that's an, that's my crutch, right. right? Because you know, I have because I don't have really long fingers, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I guess one other aspect to learning songs that we haven't talked about is, you know, what what ins what inspires you to learn new songs other than on demand, right? If somebody walks to walks up to you for a gig and says, I need you to learn these, you know, 50 songs for this gig, you know, next week or whatever. Obviously that is your, that's your imperative, (laughs) but what, what makes you sit down and just learn new songs for fun on your own? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a great question because for, I think in my experience, in my learning process, um, in my practice my routines i use it a lot and for me the motivating factor like what what gets me learning a new song that is not specifically charted out for a band or that i may never play live or play for anybody else right is really because i want to like it's i want to learn it like i want to learn that style you know i may not play many like dub reggae gigs but i want to know like what is that right like it helps you learn the idioms of that type of music so you can incorporate it in your in your playing right and that adds to like the flexibility and and people i think i I started getting a lot of feedback at some point in, in my bass career where musicians would say yeah there's just something about your music like there's like a hop to it or something they would call it. And these are musicians with like a lack of term for what I was doing. Right. And when I dissected it, I just realized that it was just because there were so many different styles that I played in that came out in 
everything that I'm doing. Right, right. Just as a whole musician, it's almost like it's almost like the accent in your dialect, right? right. That's your personal signature that you bring to your playing. Yeah, and I'm yeah. A, and I'm addicted to developing that. So that's like my motive. Yeah, you're the amalgam of everything you've heard and everything you've processed, but then that's all filtered through your own personality and your own experience and that's what makes you the player you are makes me the player i am makes you know somebody down the street the player that he is exactly exactly so paul why why do you learn new songs um usually just inspired by the greatness of a song i'm Mm -hmm. so there i know there are people who are motivated by hearing great players i come at it from a little different perspective, which is I love great songs. Like the thing that inspires me to learn new songs is typically the elegance of a well-written song. They're usually vocal oriented. So they're not just a, you know, a great musical performance, but rather something that's communicating an idea. That's usually what sets me off. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I hear Amy Mann just release something new right if if a new song comes out by her or you know i hear a new elvis costello tune or you know a really odd album that i got super into as a bass player was the album called painted painted for memory that elvis costello and burt Bacharach did together which is absolutely hands down one of the most amazing songwriter albums i think i've heard in you know in two decades, right? Still one of my favorites. And it's not an album that you kind of launch into as the kind of album you need to learn because you're going to be playing those covers all the time everywhere, right? It's not like going out and, you know, getting the latest uh, Justin Timberlake or, uh, you know, or something like that, or, you know, learning Kings of Leon's new hit or something like that. Right. But as a song writer fan, that really motivated me to try playing differently, right? It makes me, when I listen to it, I'm trying to play differently, right? I'm usually not playing upright, but I'm trying to like play in a sensitive, more classical or, um, you know, traditional upright style on the electric bass. Yeah. And to have a sense of like softness and elegance in place of being able to play you know, Arco style with a bow, right? Right. I'm playing, I'm trying to play that way on the electric. Yep. And so processing things like that has really influenced me. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I'll also go out and learn, you know, any new song that I hear where I'm just like, holy moly, you know, the, this song is amazing. Yeah. Like an example, before we started this podcast, right at the, the, the time of recording this, uh, John Mayer just released his wave two for the search for everything and four absolutely great songs on it. Uh, and yeah. hearing those songs, right. Just, you know, the, the writing of the songs, yep. which I think is really becoming his signature more than, you know, being a guitar slinger, right? right. That has, that really has my engine revved up to learn those songs. And of course, Pino Palladino is on at least one of them. Right, so right. The first thing I it want helps. to do is, you know, figure out what he's doing and yeah. you know, try to ape it. See, I just think like, I don't think I've ever thought of it that way. And it's super cool because you're, you're gearing your bass playing and you're trying to polish your style 
around just good songs. Yeah. Right. Not necessarily. Um, I mean, there's great bassists out there and I know I'm super guilty of like honing in on one bassist who's just technically amazing. And I just want to get right inside of their mind. Yeah. And there's so many of them too, that are, that are so great. And I love listening to them. Yeah. But, um, but they're not on the radio. It's not what like your average listener hears. And when you're in bands, you're, you're out, especially if you're playing these cover bands or whatever band that you're really in, whatever project you're, you're gigging with, it's the purpose is to connect with your, with your listeners. Right. And to be able to like, instead of getting in the mind of something so technical, but also like widen your, your array of skill sets so that you can connect with the listener at that level is just, it's great. Right. I mean, my hope is that some of these songs are interesting at some point down the line to play for, you know, people live. Sure. And not everything's going to fit into that context, obviously, right? And I'll woodshed on some, you know, fun songs that I know are never going to be played by me in a band setting. Right. Because they're just fun to rock out to. Right. But I think a lot of times I... I will tend to pull together a playlist of, you know, things that are new and contemporary, like the latest, whatever the latest billboard charts are for, you know, might be top 40, some of it, which, you know, I know that's a lot of electronic dance music inspired stuff. And a lot of the bass that you hear there isn't, you know, isn't real electric bass. Right. But at the same time, those things are really popular and kind of understanding how to fit a groove into that context can yep. give you another weapon in your arsenal for playing with other people. And I'll do the same thing for like whatever AOR is now, right? Album oriented rock. It's right. what is it now? It's like triple a, like yeah. adult, adult, something adult alternative album, or I don't even know what it is. I thought they call it triple a, <laughs> but I'm so not a radio like, business guy i don't really know what the term is but you know all the the modern kind of you know more songwriter slash album oriented things as opposed to you know just trying to get a hit out onto the radio right right both of those are valid but i like listening to all of those and then trying to pick up ways to play yeah that fit the context of that song Right. You know, and just sit there and do that like i did that the other night i was like playing along with like ariana grande or something like that Right. Right. And, and, you know, and, and you learn things when you start to try to emulate like what, what the synth is doing or what the electronics are doing that are in place of the bass. You build new techniques off of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you've tried to learn that you still haven't learned? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to name them all. Like what's, what's one notable, what's one notable song like that? No, I always have, uh, and it's just been on rotate I think since day one is, uh, you know, Jocko's teen town. Oh my gosh. Which is probably on so many other basis lists, but that is just like, it's just one that just, I'll never get there. And I'm, and I'm comfortable with that now. Right. Right. <laughs> it's humbling. You know, I think even if, even when I feel like I've got it, I know that I don't. And there's a lot of songs out there that are just, they're masterpieces from a bass perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think of several, like I can think of like several Tower of Power songs that are like that for right. me, where you know Rocco is just such a machine. Rocco Prestia, right, the bass player in 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 Tower of Power, is just such a machine in the way he delivers, like you know these 
16th note grooves. It's you know, yeah. very, very much from that, like Jocko school, although That's I would true. say a very different kind of a different kind of player in how he approaches it. And that stuff is always a challenge for me and still working on it. Yeah. Yeah. There's just these like little perfections in there that, you know, you're just chasing a dragon. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, the chase itself is, is worth it though, right? That's why we're here. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds like a great place to end this episode. So uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed uh, our chat about learning songs. Uh, once again, we really would look forward to your feedback and your input. Please stop by practicalbase.com, our website, and let us know what you think. Let us know if you've got ideas for future podcasts or anything else that you'd like us to know. We're eager to hear from you and eager to connect with you. And we hope that you'll also connect with us on some of the social sites where you can find us. You can find Practical Base on Facebook, on Instagram, on Google Plus, and on Twitter. And I hope that we will hear from you soon. And until next week, I'm Paul Freels. And I'm Dave Guzman. And this has been Practical Base. Thanks for listening. Later, we'll do that at some point during the show. I'll be like, I don't know, Dave. Let me Google that for you. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Passive aggressive podcasting. <laughs>